So we're setting our business up in a way that you can buy the property with us. We'll manage it. We can get you financing. So it's really just a one-stop shop for anyone who wants to invest in real estate. Welcome, closers. Today, we have another episode of the Profitable Property Management Podcast coming at you. This is season two on sales. I'm your host, Jordan Moyla, and every week I interview world-class property management entrepreneurs and industry experts who share actual insights to help you grow your property management empire. So whether you manage a hundred or a thousand units, this broadcast is designed to help you see the big picture and give you the tools and tactics that you need to get to the next level. I don't throw darts at a board. I bet on sure things. Meet Sun Tzu, the art of war. Every battle is won before it's ever fought. Think about it. Today, I'm talking with Brian Hughes and Leslie Soa, the sales marketing director and director of business development at RentWorks. RentWorks, you may know, run by Brad Larson, based out of San Antonio, Texas today, and may be expanding to new markets tomorrow. In 2017, they signed an incredible 368 new units into the company, and they're already well on their way to their 2018 goal of accruing 500 new units. In today's episode, you'll learn about how Brad and Leslie have achieved this incredible growth goal and how you can apply some of those lessons in your own business. So if you're curious how a biz dev and marketing duo can not just generate leads, but actually sign up hundreds of doors a year, then this is the episode for you. If you enjoy the show, please head over to iTunes, leave us a review. The more reviews we get, the better the guests we get, the more enjoyable the shows are. Let's dive in. Brad and Leslie, welcome to the show. Hi, how are you? Brian, also. <laughs> I'm doing great. Good to have you guys on. Let's talk about some brief background. Leslie, how did you get started with RentWorks? So I started with RentWorks last May after being a stay-at-home mom for a few years. I had some real estate background and came across the um, job posting and applied and I couldn't be happier. And what does your day-to-day role look like today? So I am... Um, Half of the, our sales team, I do mainly outside sales and home appointments. Brian's kind of the inside person that will, you know, answer those phone calls, set appointments for me. So most of the time when we're super busy, I'm out on the road. Got it. Brian, how long have you been with RentWorks? I started in December of 2016, so a little over a year. And what's your title? I'm the director of sales and marketing. And what does it look like day to day for you? So as Leslie kind of mentioned, I'm more of the inside presence. So I'm going to be taking the a lot of the frontline calls, also working on our AdWords and Facebook and uh, doing some of the digital marketing stuff. Uh, and then occasionally meeting with owners uh, in our summer months when we get really busy and have a lot of uh, appointments. So let's talk about some of the results that you guys have already achieved as well as your goals for, for 2018. I want to make sure I got this right. The goal for 2018 is to sign up 500 new units. Is that correct? That's correct. right. All right, let's, that's pretty ambitious. Let's walk through the mechanics of how you actually get there, starting with lead generation. Leslie, you mentioned that you consider yourself doing more outside sales. You're outside of the building, meeting in person. Are you responsible for doing any lead generation, or are you merely working the leads that are being generated by other folks? That is pretty much um, Brian's role. You know, He finds out where the leads are coming from and how to get more. And I'm in charge of nurturing the leads and getting them to the point of, you know, signing up with us. 
Got it. So, Brian, how are you thinking about this goal of that 500? Is that 500 doors within one market with just within San Antonio? Yeah, it is. We looked at what we did in 2017 and we took the number of leads we had, you know, the number of appointments and extrapolated that to our numbers that we want to do in 2018. So we signed up, as you mentioned, about 365 homes last year. Uh, so we needed to grow by 35% in order to get to our goal of 500 for this year. So we took the number of leads we had, increased by 35%, took the number of appointments we set, increased by 35%, and then broke it down on a monthly basis. We hit our goal for January this year. We've hit our goal for February. And we're just kind of taking it like that and just breaking it down in manageable goals. So 368 new units in 2017. How many owners do you think that represents? And that's really a function of the average number of properties per owner. What's your guess as to what that looks like? Well, about 25% of our owners last year signed up with four properties or more. So 25% were, you know, the investor class. So I would estimate, you know, maybe 280, 300, 250 or so different owners. So when we look at the overall kind of top to bottom funnel, what are your expectations for what success looks like throughout the funnel, starting with that, that down funnel, that conversion metric? What are y'all's expectations of what lead conversion should look like for a, a well-run sales organization? Well, what we've seen over last year is just number of leads in, we close about 33%, about a third of the leads that we get in. And that's just someone calling and saying, hey, I'd like to know what my home could rent for. Um, I'm thinking about potentially renting my home's already for sale. So that's a, a lead in that sense is pretty broad. But of those leads that we get in, we close about a third of them. Solid numbers. Industry average is around 13%. What have you guys done historically as you grow to get to 500? Does that look more like scaling up the existing channels that you have? Or are you feeling pressure to develop new channels that, that don't currently exist? Right now, really what we've been doing is just scaling up what we've been doing. We've uh, increased our AdWords spend a little bit this year, increased our Facebook spend a little bit. And really the next part of it that we're adding to this is that we're looking to have more of a, a presence in, net, in the networking circles, meeting with uh, other agents and getting that face-to-face -face presence. Because right now what we're doing digitally, I think, is working and we've been uh, you know, able to make it work on that side. Do you guys currently host any events of any kind, client appreciation or otherwise? We Not really. Yeah. We've had one kind of event to get our foot in the door, but it wasn't anything too big. So that's one of our focuses for 2018 is to have some more significant events with some, you know, some good turnout. Let's talk about what the nurturing function looks like. First, just kind of starting off on the activity level. So Leslie, lead comes in. What piece are you responsible for? Everything from first touch all the way to close? Pretty much. I mean, since I'm fairly new, six months, you know, nine months in, Brian used to take the first steps with the with the clients. Now, now when a lead comes in, it's pretty much mine to handle, you know, and he helps me out when when it gets overwhelming. Every lead that we have, we put, we make sure that even if it's just a simple phone call that they're put into our lead simple CRM, you know, system. So that way we don't lose touch with any of those leads that they're always going to be there. You know, that information is stored there. We can access it at any time, make notes in it. So we always know what's going on with any lead. If they call in and say, hey, I'm not going to be ready for a year, but I'm just trying to, you know, figure out or I'm looking at buying, buying an investment property and, you know, may not be for another six months. We want to make sure that, you know, we're taking care of those and that we don't lose those because communication is huge. We found, you know, a lot of other property managers don't follow up with 
with, you know, potential clients and that can really turn people off. So we, we really try to stay on top of that and make sure that we're, you know, doing our part. Got it. So you got all these people in the system, which is a great first step, but having them in the system is not the same thing as actually following up. Do you have a specific follow-up plan built out in Lead Simple? Like how do you actually remember to stay on top of them? Um, we have a task list that pops up every day that tells us what's due for that day. And we stage, you know, clients based on what their needs are, what stage they're in. If they sign a contract, obviously they go into, you know, signing a contract. If we find out they signed up with another property manager, they go into a different stage. If they are just not quite ready yet, you know, they go into a different stage. So it really, really helps with, especially when you have the amount of leads coming in that we do to make sure that nobody gets, gets left behind. On a day-to-day basis, where do you prioritize follow-up as well as in-person meetings? I know it can kind of be challenging to be out of office and still actually staying on top of things. How do you how do you manage that? So, of course, Brian and I share a calendar. He can see, you know, any anything that I have scheduled. So, if he happens to be the one scheduling an appointment for me, then you know, there's no overlap. You know, we just have to make sure that everything you do is put in your calendar, whether it's, you know, something personal or something, you know, work-related or whatever that it's in there. So, if your day is open, someone can go in there and, and you know, make an appointment at any time and you know that it's going to be, you know, handled. The calendar and Lead Simple really are the two biggest the biggest tools for making sure all that stuff, you know, stays on track. We're actually able to share the responsibility using Lead Simple because if she has four appointments in a day and isn't going to be the office the whole day, I can go to her task list and work down the list and say, okay, we need to make these calls today. So it makes it a lot easier to share the responsibility having CRMs and shared calendars. So staying on this theme of nurturing, Brian, can you talk me through what some of the nurturing communication looks like on a more automated basis, like emails, et cetera? What has worked for you guys in terms of keeping these leads warm in between phone calls? Because obviously you can't call people every other day. It just gets annoying after a couple of weeks. Yep. <laughs> we have several emails built out to go out. We have a setting we call active nurturing and then passive nurturing. Active is someone who's going to be signing up within the next month or two. Passive is someone several months down the road. The active is a, about an email a week. Um, just kind of, how are you doing? You know, have you thought about what we've discussed? I uh, hear several links to our website that explain some things we had touched on. Emails giving them information along the way, keeping them interested. You know, a real high percentage of the time, we'll get an email back from an automated email saying, oh, you know what? I've just been busy. I'd like to set up the time to meet. And you look back, we haven't actually called that person in six months. It's uh, really, you know, very little effort to keep people in your funnel. So what I like about what you guys are doing is that you're actually leveraging the content that is being created. I see a lot of folks get really excited about content creation. They film a bunch of videos. They do a bunch of blog posts. But if you don't have a plan in place, it can tend to be transactional, meaning one-off. Like you filmed it or you recorded it and it gets sent out and then it's just kind of dead. But for that strategy to actually work, you have to recycle the content. And I see that that's what you're doing with your campaigns. You're taking a lot of this content that was created and then recycling it in the context of these emails, which makes a ton of sense. What do you think is actually some of the key pieces of content that is most likely to get prospects over the hump? One thing that we've really focused on lately is transparency. And that's kind of going against common wisdom. A lot of times we see a lot of our competitors, they would rather not necessarily give you the full price breakdown up front. With us, we're going to put everything out there. And then when you're ready, you can come to us. And we have, again, using those follow-up emails, getting these monthly emails, weekly emails kind of just keeps us top of mind. 
Let's talk a, a little bit about where ISAs fall in the mix for you guys. I know Brad had mentioned that you guys do work with some ISAs. Where do they get involved in the follow-up process? Yeah, they're doing great. We have a couple guys Yeah, we work with. They, they're not necessarily as much on the follow-up. They're on lead generation. So they're looking at some low-performing lead sources like Craigslist, Zillow, Trulia, those landlords who are managing their own homes. And we're contacting them and saying, hey, have you ever considered hiring a professional property manager? Most times, no. Most times, they don't want to talk to us. But they, you know, they're on the phone grinding those out. And they have their own lead bucket that they can add, those leads that they come across to. And they, they have their own follow-up plan. They have their own stages. So they're doing a great job. Wow. Okay. So you have them just doing that initial outreach. And as soon as somebody actually raises their hand, they're being handed off to Leslie. Am I understanding it correctly? Yep. You're exactly right. Wow. Fantastic. I love it. And it's mostly focused on targeting for rent by owners. Yes. And the other thing is we'll also run across agents. We'll run across agents who manage five, 10 properties and they don't necessarily want to do it. And we'll say, okay, well, we're the option. How do you do the handoff? Well, let's say they talk to someone and they say, yeah, you know, I'm interested in learning a little bit more. They'll set an appointment with myself or Leslie to, you know, talk a little bit further on the phone and they will switch them from their lead bucket to our lead bucket using LeadSum. So the handoff's pretty simple. All of their notes are right there. So it's really just a matter of clicking a button. Okay. So are you saying somebody else is populating those leads, dumping them in lead symbol, and then the ISA is just working them in lead simple? Am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, that's basically it. The ISAs, they scour the different websites that we are looking for leads on on a daily basis, add them into lead simple, and then make their phone calls from there. Those types of leads, you don't want to follow up with a, a double ton. You know, if call them twice and they don't answer, we're not going to, you know, continue to follow up. So it's a, a, a little bit shorter follow-up cycle, I guess. Now, do you put them in a different lead type or do you keep them with those leads within your main lead type? Uh, they're within a different lead type. There's, well, you know, we have our rent works, which are our main leads. And then we have our, you know, our VAs, they have their own uh, lead bucket that they use. Got it. Okay. So then do they move that lead into the main lead type at the point in time that that person is ready to ready to go? Or does it all get managed in a separate lead type? No. Yeah. They'll be moved over. Um, we'll still know where they came from. So we'll know that they came from the VA's efforts. They'll be you know noted as the source. Um, but yes, they'll be moved uh, from their lead bucket into ours, into the main bucket. How do you name the lead source? Uh, well, the lead sources, they're the only ones working those lead sources. So they're the only ones on Craigslist, Zillow, Trulia, and the others. So if we see the sources, any of those, you know, handful that they're looking on, we know that it's from them. And just like Leslie and I are a team, they are also a team. So if one signs up one, they both get credit for it. In terms of performance, are they really just under pressure to uh, deliver signed contracts or are they also graded on number of calls, et cetera? No, no. Yeah. They're not under pressure necessarily either. I mean, they get a salary, really the signups are just bonuses to them. So, you know, they're motivated to, you know, financially motivated to get those signups. But if it's a slow month and they get one or two or none, it's, you know, it's not going to, you know, they're not going to be, you know, not eating that month or something. Once they get a lead that they feel is a good solid lead, most of the time that person wants more information that Brian and I are more likely to be able to, you know, communicate better. 
to them. And just, we, you know, we know the ins and outs of almost everything and every question that could be asked. So they may not be the ones that are actually putting pen to paper with the owner and having them sign up. That's usually still us, but you know, they still get credit for that, for creating the lead. Now, how do you guys handle attribution in terms of call-ins? If somebody calls in, do you aggressively try and figure out where they come from or do you just mark them as call-in? How do you handle that? We generally just mark them as call-in, um, but then we'll, we can also look at our AdWords and kind of figure out if, you know, we've had six people click on our ad to call and then we have six call-in leads. We'll, you know, more or less make the assumption that those were AdWords calls. Other than that, we do ask the question, how did you hear about us? But probably 95% of the time they just say internet and then Google. Maybe that's just where they're coming from, or I think it's more just, you know, when, when people get put that question to them, you just say, uh, internet, you know. Leslie, I would love to talk a little bit about the in-person appointment process. So let's just take it from top to bottom. Let's say ISA reached out on Craigslist to a Furbo. They get the person engaged. They do the handoff to you. You do some initial follow-up. They're ready for the in-person visit. You go out there, you meet. What does your preparation look like before an in-person presentation, and how do you how do you handle that whole conversation? So prior to the appointment, I typically like to know what a home's going to rent for, and that's important. You know, usually to the owner, that's the one thing they want to know. You know, what their home could rent for. So I try to do some research on that, based on the fact that we have three different plans. You know, I usually like to go in. You know, not trying to sell one of you know or all three plans. Like I usually know kind of where they're going to fall with our plans, and then I give them the options of the others. I have a folder that I take comps with me that I take our marketing forms with me just to kind of go over what we're going to do in the home. I have a matrix that has all of our plans, you know, laid out. So it's real simple for them to to look through as we're talking. And then I also take copies of our contract um, to go through with them, um, you know, line by line. So there's, so they don't have to do it on their own. We don't necessarily always fill it out when we're there, but we try to, you know, go line by line. So when they are filling it out, there are no surprises, nothing, you know, no, not a whole lot of additional questions. So, yeah, so once the appointment's set, I take that with me, usually do a tour of the home with the with the family, just so I know if they're if we really aren't sure what it's going to rent for, that I can have a better idea of, you know, ever all the features in the home and what it looks like and, you know, the condition that it's in. And then so we usually do that. And then I sit down with them and, you know, find out any questions that they, you know, have initially and then kind of go through, you know, my spiel with them. And then, of course, you know, once once, you know, we complete that, if they sign up, great. If not, then there's always follow up afterwards or, you know, I get them additional information if they have any, you know, afterwards and just, you know, keep that keep that going. Of the folks that do end up converting Mm -hmm. that you did an in-person meeting with, what percentage of the time do you think that they sign there as opposed to signing later? Mm, just because I'm not a hardcore like salesperson that pushes people to do that, I'd say probably 20% if, if that. But as far as in-home appointments, we sign up about 86% of someone that we meet with in person. Got it. How do you facilitate the contract signing if it happens later? Is it via like DocuSign or? It's via, we have, we have widgets on our website that, that turn it into a DocuSign. It's simple. It's, I always tell people, you know, a lot of people like to do that. It's a lot less cumbersome than to sit there and, you know, write it out. These days, a lot of people like the digital you know, form of things. As soon as that's done, you know, we get a copy of it and it makes it, you know, it's just super simple. It's all, it's all saved right there. And I think it's a win-win for everybody really, because they can do it on their own time, but it doesn't take, you know, quite as long as if they were to sit and, you know, fill it out. 
the fact that it's on your website, is that something different than just using DocuSign normally? Or? Um, Brian could probably answer that better. I believe so. I mean, it's not a DocuSign. It is a, it is an Adobe. Um, it's actually a Echo Sign. Echo Sign. Okay. So it's something similar. But yes, it is on our website. So someone would, someone could essentially never talk to Brian and I get on our website, find out that they like something and boom, they could sign up right there and they would be contacted, you know, usually same day, next day, you know, with someone ready to market their property. Oh, I, I got to see this. So I'm on the rentworks.com website. I clicked on property management. I'm looking at. Look at owners, the owners tab. You have to do the drop down. It's actually property management and then ready to sign. Oh, sorry. Thank you, Brian. Let's say I'm going to pick the gold plan here. Click to sign. Boom. There's the contract. Wow. I'm curious. Has that ever happened? Have you ever had somebody go through the entire process without contacting you? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Or they call and say, you know, I've been on your website. Uh, I'm ready to sign up. What's the next step? And tell them, go right to there. And next day we're marketing it. Yep. Wow. Love it. That is some genuine innovation for the subset of people that want that experience. Why shouldn't they have that? You know, in the same way that let's say, for example, if you're thinking about buying a car, you never start by just walking into a dealership. You know, you start by doing online research. But if you take that metaphor further, the only point that you ever actually walk into the car dealership is because at some point you feel like you have to do so in order to buy the car. In theory, if you could do the whole thing online and just have the car delivered to your house, wouldn't that be great? And that's what we're seeing companies like Carvana, et cetera, doing. So yeah, that is a really slick experience. I'm loving it. And even for the folks that you do talk with, obviously, that's a pretty easy way to go too. So let's say somebody you met with in person, you had the set, then do they literally just go here or do you have to send them a document that it pre-populates any of their information? Um, so I, you know, once I get back and an appointment's um, completed, I will send them, you know, a follow-up email with a link to sign. And if we've talked about anything else, like any, any other information that they want, you know, I include that there. If they want a PDF, you know, copy of, of a plan, which usually they, they typically will have the one in hand that they need because I usually have extras. If they've decided, hey, I want the gold plan and I, you know, I hand it to them right there just so they can have it in front of them. If not, you know, I can send them, like I said, anything I need to after the fact, but there's always a link to signing up. Got it. Now talk to me about handoff. Somebody signs the contract. Leslie, when does your job end? Um, well, I mean, I always tell people never really, because if they ever need anything, I'm always available. But at that point it gets assigned to a portfolio manager and they are very well skilled and trained and take it from there. And they make their introduction with the owner. I usually hardly ever hear from them again. So let's talk about things post sale, not on an operational level, but Brian, walk me through referral generation from existing owners. Do you guys have any programs in place to either get existing owners to purchase more properties with you guys or to get them to refer you friends and associates? Well, for the latter, we're working on it. We've actually expanded our office and just took in a a mortgage company and also a brokerage as well, another sales agency. So we're trying to uh, have the mortgage company kind of approach some of our current owners and see if they can, you know, get them to to grow their portfolios. Um, We don't really have a lot uh, in place to, you know, turn our current owners into investors. Um, one thing that we do offer is that we will offer a $500 donation to Warriors Heart, which is a foundation 
here outside of San Antonio, Texas, that helps veterans and uh, get back up on their feet after combat. So if a current owner refers anyone to who signs up with us, we'll make that donation in their name. We've had that you know, a handful of times, but it's not uh, a huge uh, generator for us. Let's get off of the buying prop- additional properties. I think that's a much more complicated conversation. But at least for generating referrals, do you see that as being a potential opportunity as you have this growing goal in 2018? And do you have any ideas about where to take that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, generating referrals from our current owners is definitely, you know, some an area we haven't explored very much. But, you know, a quick way to do that would be just to get them onto a lead simple follow up plan. And email is, a, you know, a key to getting someone's attention. Uh, it's not necessarily going to be one email, but it, maybe it's several over the course of six months that get their attention. I would say a, a email follow up plan would be the best way to accomplish that. Could be several over six years, right? I mean, it could be one every six months or one every twelve months. It definitely is a very different flavor of conversation that you're having, where you're less aggressive and it is pretty explicitly commercially oriented, right? I mean, unless you find a creative way to create to do content around that. So, aside from from that, do you guys do any form of ongoing? communication with owners? Have you tried newsletters or anything like that? Yeah, we do have a a monthly and annual newsletter that go out. You know, to be honest, we haven't put a whole lot of focus on those. It's more just some kind of general information. Um, But yeah, that can definitely be an area of, you know, opportunity for us. And is that like content that Brad is creating, like videos? What does it look like right Um, now? Yeah, it's it's more just uh, links and... uh, there's a couple yeah, videos and uh, market conditions, um, things that are going on in the San Antonio market. So it's fairly generalized. Okay. Yeah. Makes, makes sense. So you said that last year, about 25% of the people that you signed up had more than four properties and therefore you're calling those investors. Yes. Going into 2018, are you imagining that that trend is going to hold or are you doing any more um, mm. specific targeting of accidentals versus investors? Well, I, th- I think it's going to hold and we're more targeting investors this year than last. We've come up with a few programs that are going to be pretty attractive to investors. Um, and also we're setting our, our business up in a way that you can you can buy the property with us. We'll manage it. We can get you financing. So it's really just a one-stop shop for anyone who wants to invest in real estate. I like that. I see a lot of potential. All right. So you said you developed some programs. Was it what you just described? Talk me through some of those innovations around attracting and servicing investors. Uh, so actually one of the new features of lead simple allows you to have a pop-up on your website. So when an investor visits our investor page, there's a pop-up that comes up, uh, asking them if they'd like to be part of our closed Facebook group. Um, if they input their email address, they'll be added to the group. And now whenever being a property management company, we do have accidental landlords, people who didn't necessarily want to rent it out. They wanted to sell, but they had to move. So those people, you know, a year, two years down the road, their feet are getting, they're getting antsy and they want to sell the property. So sometimes there's a tenant in place. So if we come across those scenarios, we will then in turn present that to our list of investors. So investors can get a property with a tenant in place, a really motivated owner who wants to sell, um, and they get it before it goes on the market. So it's a win for the investor. It's a win for the client because they want to get out of the house. They want to sell it as quickly as possible. They can have little closing costs. Um, And it's a win for us because we keep the home. It's not going on the open market. Uh, And now we're working with an investor as well. Wow. Genius. 
genius. This is gold, guys. So you're using that pop-up on the new marketing automation feature to push people into a Facebook group. Did I understand that correctly? Yeah, they're into a Facebook group and on an email list. And the, wow. reason, the reason for the group is to just get interaction. Um, wow, 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 wow. That's brilliant. I mean, the reason, that, the reason to get them into a Facebook group is so you can actually have a relationship with them. It's, it's obvious, right? It makes a ton of sense. But A, you got to have a Facebook group. B, you got to actually manage it, nurture it, and work it. I mean, there's, there's effort in this stuff, and it's like a flywheel. Well, if you just start the Facebook group, there's zero value. It's actually building it out and nurturing it over time, which is kind of a long, a long game investment that makes sense. But that is incredibly creative. And then the other thing that you articulated about basically doing pocket listings with the folks that are selling and just feeding that out to your existing pool of owners or maybe just the subset that are investors, is that in place yet? Have you experimented with that yet? It's in place. It's uh, active right now. We've only gotten a handful of signups, you know, over the past. It's only been a few weeks, but that's something that we're going to plan to build out in 2018, and uh, we're looking forward to it being a, a really great program moving forward. Yeah. Wow. Significant. I mean, really what I see is that the mindset shift branding and positioning wise is that a lot of property management companies are their their branding and their positioning is ultimately defined by the name property management which just isn't a great name it implies basically preventing something bad from happening you know there's value in that but at the end of the day that's fundamentally a reactive rather than a proactive story a better story is wealth creation through real estate and the folks that we see that are really killing it are telling that story and getting other people to believe it so as soon as the shift becomes not only is this person managing my property, but they're actually helping me source more deals. Huge opportunities I can see opening up from that. So I want to check back in 12 months and see how that program has gone for you guys. But I'm really excited to see the results that could come from that. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely keep in touch on that. All right, guys, I want to transition to the rapid fire section of the interview where we're basically just going to get some guttural answers from you guys on some quick questions. Leslie, the first question is for you. What is the most frequent objection that you get from landlord prospects? No, it's too expensive. No, my husband's not here. No, I'm not ready. Uh, Well, yeah, I mean, that's probably most expensive only if they're in a situation where the rental price plus the property management fee would cause them to lose money every month. Got it. It's not covering their mortgage. Correct. Correct. Yeah. I mean, that's usually when people go, okay, maybe I need to make, you know, figure something else out. And and in those situations, do you think that's a situation where they're just potentially kept out of the transaction altogether or that they're sourcing cheaper management companies? Um, I don't think they're necessarily going to find anything cheaper. They're either on, on the fence about selling or renting at that point or, you know, staying where they're at. A lot of times we have people, you know, coming in and out of San Antonio, they'll buy a new home that home's not quite worth what they bought it for maybe at that moment, you know, which where they could get out from under it by selling it and without losing money. They worry about, you know, even if they're just breaking even every month with a property management, you know, company, you know, in place that, you know, that means that they're not really, you know, winning. They're not, they're, they don't have any income. So it kind of freaks them out a little bit, but, you know, we try to talk through all that stuff and, you know, explain to them why, why over long term, you know, it's, it's, it may not be a bad idea to rent the house. You know, but it's not for everybody, and we understand that it's, you know. So you're saying why it may be the best option to rent the house, even if they are losing a little bit of money each month? Yes, correct. Give me the basic spiel. 
Yeah, of course. So you may be losing a little bit every month, but, you know, property management fees are tax deductible as well as, um, you know, maintenance that you do on the home. Any lost rent, you know, typically you can write off on your taxes. So you may get a little bit of money back at the end of the year. Um, property values tend to go up. You know, hopefully that's the trend. You also have, will have someone paying down your mortgage, you know, covering that payment for you every month. You know, I just try to give them the benefits and, you know, the things that are that I see that may help them even in a year or two years, three years, you know, down the road why it's beneficial. Got it. Just covering the basic points. I like that you actually push back on that. It makes sense. And I see the opportunity. Brian, in your opinion, what is the most underrated marketing tactic? Quick follow up. Speed to response. Speed to response. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing how many, uh, you know, how effective that is. We call someone back within a couple hours or, you know, just getting back to people quickly. It's, it's amazing. I don't necessarily know that that's closing us deals, but I mean, I have to imagine that has a huge effect. I, I mean, looking across the market and some of our, just in general in real estate, whether you're talking to an agent, property manager, it doesn't matter. I guess another way to put that would be transparency because we want to, um, you know, give everyone all the information they need right away, um, not hold anything back and kind of allow the consumer to make the decisions. Now, how quick is quick for you? What would you define as being a, a fast reply? Let's say via phone specifically. You know, it, we started off calling people right away. As soon as they came in, if we were by our desk, we make them a call. But that can be a little intrusive. Um, Sounds so desperate. Yeah. So <laughs> typically just within within the same day, um, if they put it or the next day for sure. So if it comes in, you know, after hours, we'll call them first thing in the morning. If it comes in, you know, midday, we'll call them in the afternoon. If it comes in the morning, we'll call them midday. Are you guys working leads from paper lead vendors like all property management, for example? Yes. Yes. So how does that fly? Because my, what I know is that leads from APM, for example, they're getting blasted out to multiple companies. Responding in a couple hours really isn't going to... I should specify. Um, with all property management, those are tied to our cell phones. We get text on those right away. So on those, we do call right away. But those are maybe, you know, a, a, a couple... couple. The ISAs that are doing outreach, is that via email only or do they, can they do manage phone as well? Oh, no. Yeah, they're mostly on the phone. So they're, they're reaching out to people via phone because on the, the most sites where they're listing their home, they only list a phone number. They're not listing their email. Okay. So I want to push back, guys. I appreciate that your answer was speed to call. 100% agree with you. The research on this is absolutely clear that there's just a real sloping arc, that there's a dramatic difference between calling somebody in 30 seconds versus three minutes versus three hours. So if you guys were to, let's say you did want to prioritize calling somebody back in three minutes. And the way that I think about it is if you call somebody back within that first couple of minutes, it's a wow opportunity, right? It's a little bit shocking. I don't take it as being desperate at all. Your phone skills determine whether or not it comes off as desperate, but the speed itself comes off as just being as just raw responsiveness. Like, hey, this is just how we operate. We're very fast and very responsive. What would prevent you guys from responding at that rate, given that you have four bodies that could all potentially take the call? There's nothing preventing it. I guess uh, when you're making those outbound calls, you they want to know, they have specific questions in mind, like, well, most notably, what could my home rent for? You know, so that's not something that we may be able to answer right away within a few minutes. So I guess doing a little research and before the call um, kind of allows us to go into it a little more ready. Um, but to your point, I mean, there's nothing stopping us from doing that, making those immediate calls 
we just, I guess, got the feeling that it was a bit intrusive after, you know, practicing it for you know a period of time. But I take your point for sure. Well, I mean, you're going to call him back at some point. If the medium of phone calls is not intrusive, then I don't think calling him back immediately. What's intrusive is calling somebody at 10 p.m., but that's a controllable factor. You know, my, my thought is that the preparation for the phone call is always good, but how long do you think it actually takes you to pull comps? And what are your comps based off of? Are you using something like a rent range report, or are you actually pulling like true comps where you're doing your own homework? We initially will use a rent range report, which is pretty quick, maybe five minutes or we can pull comps. Um, but it's also, you know, day to day, Leslie's out on an appointment. I'm working on our, you know, an AdWords campaign. So it's kind of uh, affects our, you know, day to day if we're, you know, seven times, eight times out of the day, we have to drop what we're doing and make this phone call. And then that's 30 minutes. And then you're back to what you were doing. I agree. I could not agree more. The science around that is real too. That's called context switching. This is why multitasking is not a reality. Multitasking just means doing multiple things badly. But my thought is for the ISAs that you have in house, they could potentially be the people that no matter what, always call people back within three minutes or less and say something along the lines of, Hey, I just wanted to reach out. Thanks for contacting us. I wanted to answer any basic questions and let you know that Brian and or Leslie is going to be contacting you. Do you have any questions I can take down? Something to consider, food for thought. You know, we can talk more offline if you want to get some more feedback on it, but just there's just a potential opportunity. Let's keep moving here with with the rapid fire section. Leslie, Brian, are you guys readers? Do you guys read any business books? Is that your your jam or no? No, (laughs) I've listened to the podcast before, so I knew that question was coming, but no, I don't read. Uh, <laughs> he's not illiterate, folks, but he doesn't yeah, read business books. Read. <laughs> I just don't do it for pleasure. Let me put it like that. How about podcasting? You, do you yeah. listen to any podcasts? Yes, I was hoping you asked that. Yes, I love. Well, I, honestly, I, I enjoy this podcast. But I really love uh, how I built this on NPR. It's great to see how different entrepreneurs built their business. Um, and a favorite episode, if you had to listen to one, listen to Herb Kellerman of Southwest Airlines. It's a really great episode. Oh, man, I am stoked. I'm going to listen to that in my car as soon as I leave the office today. Uh, Leslie, how about you? Books, podcasts? Um, yeah, I'm not, I have two young children, so I don't have a whole lot of time to read. Fair um, enough. But currently I'm, I'm doing a lot of real estate. Um, I'm trying to, you know, working on getting my real estate license. So that's my, those uh, lovely real estate books are my friend. Okay. <laughs> makes, makes sense. Understandable. Well, Leslie, tell me this. What is the number one reason why you believe that you win the business over your competition? I know that you are aware of those moments where they are getting multiple quotes or you're not only the person that's made a presentation. Why, what is your, your belief about why you tend to win the business? Mm, well, I think I'm likable. I think people, you know, trust me that, you know, they believe what I you know have to tell them. My sales job is to me, it's easy because of the, the tools that I am provided by RentWorks. So it's really just a matter of going out and being able to, you know, speak with people, you know, make them feel comfortable that you're they're going to be handing their home over to, you know, our company. I think that's big for me. Great reasons. What I'm hearing there is enablement. You feel like you're selling something that is fundamentally good and of value. And you've also been given tools in terms of sales collateral, et cetera, that makes your job easier. And then, you know, you obviously just you believe in yourself. You're comfortable actually in the role. Brian, similarly for you, but kind of the inverse question, in your opinion, where do you think marketing dollars are most likely to be wasted for property management companies new to the marketing game? Mm. 
All property management and those types of things. <laughs> <laughs> Pay for lead. Yeah, it's a rough, that's doggy dog, man. Yeah, those we spend, I mean, those are about $85 per lead. And you maybe close, you know, maybe a, a fifth of them. Um, and the other thing about those types of leads are those people are looking, they're generally shopping on price. The reason they want to get five quotes is because they want to pick the lowest price in, in, in a lot of the time. So that's our highest, uh, highest costing lead source and one of the lowest converting, but it's still profitable. So we still do it. Yeah, that makes sense. I think the challenge for new players into the market is that they go from having a small referral based business to then trying APM, not strategically, but simply because it's the easiest one to get up and running. You just have to have to swipe a credit card. And what kind of whiplash must that be like to go from referrals to APM leads, right? Those warm referrals that are coming with like love and concern versus this, you know, you got 30 seconds to close me or else I'm going to hang up. Yeah. Or you call 30 seconds after the lead came in and it's already busy. So yeah, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I feel you. All right. um, Leslie, three important sales attributes. Pick one, speed, persistence, or phone skills. Phone skills. For sure. Brian, one piece of advice for new marketers working in the property management industry. Create content. Leslie, are good salespeople born or bred? Born. <laughs> Brian, are savvy marketers born or bred? They're bred. All or, right. Okay. So, guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode. This was a ton of fun for me to get in the weeds with some folks that are doing it, some operators. On occasion, we bring in the high-level thought leader that's talking about sales and a little bit more of conceptual, abstract level. But at the end of the day, there are people doing the work. We just got to talk to two of them, and they're doing some pretty fine work, if I may say so myself. At the end of the day, they're being held accountable to results, and the results are coming in. I wish you guys much success as you're going after this goal of 500 doors. If folks are interested in getting a little bit more information about um, the RentWorks brand and process, what's the best place for them to go online? They can just go to rentworks.com. It's R-E-N-T-W-E-R-X.com. There's a contact form on there if they want to get in touch with either of us to talk a little bit more. Love it. And we should also mention Brad's podcast. What's the URL for that? Uh, it's propertymanagementmastermind.com. Uh, you can check it out there or it's uh, there's also a Facebook page or you can see it on our RentWorks Facebook as well. All right. Brad's got some good stuff cooking up over there. He's got some good guests and he's got a lot of operational knowledge that he is sharing. Go check it out. Brian, Leslie, thanks for your time today. Thank you so much, Thank Jordan. You. Thanks for having us. Bye.